Father God, from time everlasting, you have existed in unquenchable light. You created the heavens and the earth by the power of your word, and you saw fit to entrust humanity to steward your good creation on the earth. You have revealed your power and majesty to all people through your creation. One cannot see the fields covered with grain, the snow-capped mountains looming in the distance, or hear the crash of the tides on the beach without being lost in wonder at how such things exist. We know, Father, that life exists because you sustain it. And for that, as your people, we worship you. But there are times, God, when we fall short in our worship of you. We become enamored with the creation and forget the one who created it. We attempt in vain to control various aspects of our lives without acknowledging the one who has our future in his hands. There are times we even tarnish your image that exists in ourselves and in others by the way we speak and act as irreverent, foolish creatures. Forgive us, Father, when we fail to give you the honor that is due to your great name. But thanks be to you, Father, that you have not left us in our foolishness. By your wisdom and power, you have given the opportunity for salvation through your son Jesus, and for that, we give you the ultimate thanks. Father, may we bring you our praise and thanks this week. May we not forget you, the creator of the universe, in our comings and goings. It is you who sustain us and you who gives us life. Father, we don't just ask that you would sustain us, but we pray for other local churches as well. We pray for the fellowship at Bend and Pastor Lauren Anderson. We pray that the word preached there this morning would bring life to all who hear it in the congregation. We pray also for Pastor Bush Thomas and Bangalore Evangelical Church in India. We pray that the gospel preached in that church would bring a maturity of faith and that there would be those in that church with a desire to lead it in godliness. And Father, we also pray for those in this congregation. We pray for all the families enjoying their last weeks of summer break. We pray that the family relationships would point to the truth of your love. We pray also for those in our congregation who may be suffering or recovering from any illness this week. Lord, we are reminded of our frailty when we ask for healing and for an extra measure of peace by your Holy Spirit this week. Father, you are God high above the earth. You deserve the adoration, honor, and praise of your creation. Be with our brother Nick as he preaches your good news this morning, and be with us in the congregation as we listen and respond. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tyler. You may have a seat. As we come to Joshua 2 this morning, I was just struck by the weight of what is taking place, that God's word is opened and explained to God's people, and my prayer and hope is just as what Tyler just prayed, that it is indeed God's word this morning and not my own. Yeah, so Joshua chapter 2 is where we'll find ourselves. Uh, Feel free to open your Bibles up there, or if you have one of the handy-dandy study guides that we've Uh, have in the back, uh, feel free to just open that up as well. When I was younger, I would say like 10 or or 11, you know, into some eyes I still am younger, but uh, way younger, 10 or 11, my dad would take us backpacking. Uh, We went uh, on this one trip with another dad and his son and their friend. There were two stops. One was to a lake, Pete Lake in central Washington, uh, it was an easy three-mile hike from the, the trailhead, and um, we arrived at the lake and enjoyed our time there. 
But the second lake, the second lake was a much more difficult climb. It was an alpine lake uh, just outside of Pete Lake, up another three or four miles. And so, sure enough, uh, sitting at Lake One wasn't satisfactory for long, and we ended up just deciding just to head up to the second lake sooner than we had intended. And so, map in hand, we had a long day ahead of us. But the weather was nice, and we were all in good spirits. And being that this was a guys-only trip, someone got to looking at the map and thought, oh boy, we could take a shortcut. I mean, the lake is just right above us, and we have all of these switchbacks to go on. Why don't we just go straight up? And so we found an old creek bed and headed up. Well, it wasn't long before we started navigating all of these fallen trees. Uh, our packs got tangled, and so we had to pull them off and hand them over. I mean, I'm, a, I'm 11, right? This is, this is an, an ordeal for me. And uh, we were getting wetter by the mile, and clouds were setting in. But we were confident. We were confident that based on the map, the lake was just right above us. It wasn't that far away. We knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, that no matter how hard we had made this on ourselves, the lake was just right there. We just had to press forward. This, this confidence, this trust came from the map. The map wouldn't lie to us. The map was our source of hope, and it gave us perseverance. No, we had never seen this lake. We'd only heard about the lake. We heard how beautiful the lake was. But between what we heard and what we saw on the map, we were confident that this climb would be worth it, even if we had chosen to make it harder on ourselves. This is kind of what faith is like. Faith is the confidence that what is yet to be fully seen is truly there. And the result of our hardship in life now is that we just continue to press forward. This morning, we will once again be in Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. Last week in chapter 1, we saw that the leader of Israel, Moses, had died, and Joshua was installed as a leader over the people of God. His courageous obedience was, that, was what was needed to lead the people of God. And this courage came from confidence in the promises of God, a promise of something that would be attained at a later date. God had promised the people of Israel the land of Canaan. And it was this specific promise that gave him the courage to obey, the courage to press on. And yet today in chapter 2, the camera pans away from Joshua and the people of God and gives us a glimpse of what the mindset was of the people in Canaan. And we will encounter an unlikely hero this morning, an unlikely hero who is a Gentile woman who was also a prostitute. And yet scripture holds her in high regard for her faith. The title of the sermon today is A Faith That Saves. A Faith That Saves, and it's through confession and action. A Faith That Saves Through Confession and Action. As you're writing that down, I am going to begin reading uh, Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to read the first 14 verses of the chapter. Joshua chapter 2. 
And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly to Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them on the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of the Lord has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt and what you did to the, kings, the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of, of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above the earth, above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will, that you will save alive my father and mother my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Amen. All right, so this first section we see Rahab's confession, that faith is brought about through confession. As Joshua rallied the people as the new leader, we see here in chapter two that he's sending out spies into the land. And now this is high level 007 stuff. The instructions that we see here is that they are to scope out the land of the people, and especially the city of Jericho. Where do they choose to spend the night? Well, we see right away that it's at none other than a prostitute's house. This is where we start uh, in chapter 2 to encounter difficult things. Some have proposed that this house was also an inn and a hotel. Now, we aren't really told uh, what exactly takes place or why the men of Israel would go to the house of a prostitute, but we do know from previous stories that they are no different than other men in in the cultures that surrounded them. But no matter the intent of their actions, what we can know is that throughout Scripture, God uses messy, broken situations to accomplish his purposes. There is nothing outside the redemptive uh, sovereignty of God. These spies lack the training, right? They lack the budget of an MI6 agent. And as soon as they entered the city, they were discovered probably because they were (laughs) hanging out with people they shouldn't be hanging out with. 
It sounds more like Mr. Bean than it does James Bond, and I like Mr. Bean. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Bean's great. I am Mr. Bean. The king of Jericho sent men then to Rahab's house to arrest the spies and secure his kingdom. Uh, in verse 4, Rahab enters the narrative, and the reader is left wondering, what moral fiber does this prostitute have? Right? How, how great can she be? Is she going to keep this secret? As the readers of the story were wondering, all right, what, what's going to take place? And to our surprise, what we see in verses 4 through 6 is that she is willing to hide the spies. And not only does she hide them, but she's willing to lie for the sake of their safety. And, and this is no small lie, right? This is like the fish wasn't this big, it was this big. She states three lies in one. She tells the king's men that she doesn't know where they are, and she does. She, t- uh, she says that the men left and that she has no clue where they are fr- were even from, right? And then she says, if you pursue them, if you go quickly, you'll catch up with them. Now, each of these is a lie because she knew right where they were and that they had not left and that the king's men, if they left, would not find them. We once again encounter a difficult situation, a difficult Christian ethic question in our text. Did Rahab sin? Or or even more broadly, is it okay ever to tell a lie? Is what she did lying for good reason, and then does that absolve her from the guilt of lying? Now, This is not the point of the text, and so I don't think we should spend a ton of time answering that question, but it begs to be addressed, so let's spend a moment here. There are varying opinions as to whether or not this act of Rahab was wrong. Some would say no, that she's justified, and they would use scripture to support it, and I'm sympathetic with that, right? And these are people that I would respect, theologians, pastors, that I would say, yeah, I could listen and agree with much of what you're saying. But in my opinion, this was indeed a breaking of God's law. We must remember that the stories of the Old Testament, first and foremost, are describing a series of events. First, this is what happened, and then this took place, and then here's the result. They are not prescribing or telling us how to live. Right? So the story of Rahab is not telling us and instructing our lives and how we should conduct our business. Not to the, these kinds of, of specifics. We do not see how we should morally live our lives in the stories of the Old Testament. No, we are given details about how God brings salvation to the entire world. And he, once again, he uses messy, broken situations to do so. We see regularly situations in Scripture that take place that God clearly forbids. And God's law is clear. You shall not lie. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And God's law is a moral absolute. God's law is not something that shifts or change. It is not negotiable. And as we heard earlier, God's law in Romans 
uh, was put on the, the hearts of men. And you can do more study on that this week in Romans 2. So God's law doesn't change. And not only that, it's, it's ingrained in who we are as humans. So even though Rahab had good intentions, it was still wrong in what she did. And this isn't the only story in the Bible where the sin of man, right, Rahab's wrong action, could not stop the plan of God. No, Abraham lied about who his wife was to a king. Rachel deceived her husband Isaac into giving Jacob a birthright. Tamar deceived her father-in-law into sleeping with her, and David then, later, committed adultery and had the husband killed. Guess what? God uses broken situations to accomplish his purposes. This story, Rahab, and all of the rest, demonstrate that God's plan, his redemptive plan, cannot and will not be stopped. Not even by the messiness of this world and the sin that permeates everything. We also can't condemn Rahab too much. No, she was operating in the moment by what she knew to be true. No, she had a limited understanding of, what, of God and his law, right? She was a Gentile. Sure, we find out that she had heard and that she was believing, and we'll see that later, but her understanding of God and his law was very limited. And whatever faith she had was still growing. It was still growing in her heart and in her life. So that's a brief summary, and there's much more that a person could do uh, a work in this area, and there's much writing on this. Like, is it ever okay to lie during wartime? Uh, and, or even as Brother Andrew, right, who smuggled Bibles into China, and he refused to lie about the Bibles. He just left them sitting. Or I guess, I'm sorry, it was uh, Russia. He left them sitting on his back seat, open, and did this for many years. But he refused to lie. So there's much one could do, much study one could do in this. And I would encourage you to, to kind of venture into that world on your own. But for our purposes, this prostitute becomes an unlikely hero. Unlikely because she was a prostitute. She was a Gentile and she was a woman, which in that day would have been rare and unheard of that a woman acts courageously. All of these make Rahab's rise to prominence very peculiar and should cause us to stop and ponder what is the purpose of this story? Well, more on that in a moment. But all the kings, men, right, we see in chapter 4, believed Rahab. They believed her lie, hook, line, and sinker, and they took out after these spies. They set out into the hills that surrounded Jericho, and as soon as they left... The gate was closed. And now the spies were trapped inside the walls. And when the dust had settled, all the excitement was over. In verses 8 through 14, we see Rahab interact with the spies on the roof. This is where we see the faith that informed Rahab's action from the previous verses. We see her confession. Get this. She tells the spies she believes in their God, Yahweh. This, this prostitute who worships multiple gods of her land is finally acknowledging the power of Yahweh. 
On top of this, she says, all of my people, all of the land of Canaan knows about God's power. She describes two events that took place while Israel was wandering in the wilderness. The crossing of the Red Sea and the victory over Sihon and Og, who were destroyed. Because of the past work of God, because of what he had done previously, the pagan nations believe in his power. And now let's remember the timeline. Let's not assume this, was just, this had just happened yesterday. It had been 40 years. It had been 40 years since God had done that. The crossing of the Red Sea took place. This wasn't fresh memory, right? What happened 40 years ago? I wasn't even alive 40 years ago. That's how powerful God's actions were to save his people. And this unlikely individual is confessing with her mouth that it is God who saves and that it is the same God who judges. In verse 9, she recognizes that God paves the way for his people. And in verse 11, she proclaims what is the, the pinnacle of this entire chapter. Look at verse 11 with me. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God, in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab here confesses her faith in the character and in the nature of God. He is judge. He is creator. And in the following verses, she begs the spies to give her the way to salvation. How can I be saved is the question that she asks. Rahab is demonstrating for all of us the truth that salvation, the truth of salvation. Faith in God means recognizing that God is not only the bringer of judgment, but he's also the savior. And instead of running from the storm, Rahab runs right to it. For her fear in God precedes her faith in God. Let me say that again. Rahab's fear in God comes before her faith in God. To be saved, one must fear God first. But God saves as well. And it is to the storm that Rahab, Rahab ran. The fear of God had produced in Rahab a confession of faith. When, when Rahab looked at the God who judges, she knew that she must turn to him rather than away from him. For if she desired to be saved, that is where salvation could be found. She hadn't seen her people destroyed yet, right? But she believed that God would follow through on his promises to his people. She had no reason to doubt God. And her question to the spies, in summary, mirrors that much of, of what the rich young ruler in the New Testament asked. What must I do to be saved? And she went about, uh, went about it by bargaining with the spies. The recognition of who God is is key to saving faith. 
That's key. It's key to be saved that we recognize and understand who God is. Rahab knew who God was because she had heard. She had heard testimony about who God was. But she also knew who she was. She was not one of the people of God. She was not worthy of being saved. No, she was going to suffer judgment. God would judge her just as he would judge the rest of her city. Same is true for us. For you and I to be saved, we must first recognize who God is. But you also must recognize who you truly are. So who are you in the eyes of a holy God? Who am I in the eyes of a holy God? Well, Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have not measured up. Everyone. Ephesians 2.3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. To be saved, we have to first recognize, one, who God is, but then, two, who we are, children of wrath. And we know that that wrath is death. Somehow, on some level, Rahab recognized that she could not save herself, and she sought salvation. This is what salvation is. We are saved from God from God's judgment, by God's mercy and grace. And faith, faith is the belief that above all else, God will be true to his promises, even though we can't see the end result yet. His promise is to save those who trust in him, that, that, that those who love him and are called by him will be part of his people and that they recognize their complete inability to save themselves. Saving faith sees God's past faithfulness, his past work, like Rahab did, and trusts that it will continue on in the future. This was the faith that Rahab possessed. Now, Rahab is a peculiar character in Scripture because she's mentioned three places in the New Testament. She is mentioned in three places in the New Testament, and one of them, we're going to look at all of them today, but one of them is in Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, one thing this tells us is kind of what happens next, right? Oh, people are going to die. So a little spoiler alert. But it also tells us it also tells us that Rahab's faith is what saved her. Now, it isn't the amount of faith that Rahab has, right? It isn't that she has this, this great, inordinate amount of faith and she's just put it in the right place. No, it's about not how much of faith she has, but where she puts it. She doesn't trust in her idols. She doesn't trust in any man, right? She's a prostitute, she could have trusted in a man to save her. She didn't put it in her king's warriors or her, like, right, giving up the spies, and if I just help my side, 
then we'll win and I'll be safe. No, the faith that she has, no matter how big or small, was put right into the God of the universe. Same is true for us. We, we find ourselves beating, our, beating us, ourselves up for not having enough faith. If only I had more faith, if only I believed uh, God better and more, then I would, if only I was like my neighbor who believes God in this. Don't look for more faith, Christian. Don't look for more faith, but look to put what faith you have in the person and work of Jesus Christ and in God himself. For it isn't the amount of faith that saves you, It isn't the quantity, but it's where it's put. For it is Jesus who saves and no one else. So don't look for for more faith to find encouragement, but look to place what faith you have in God each and every day, little by little. And Rahab looks to the people of God to save her, right? She looks right to them. And they give her an answer. They guaranteed her, in our final verse, and they guaranteed her and her family's safety. We see in the next section, a big question that's raised as we read this section is, how can the spies guarantee the safety of Rahab? How can they do this? Right? These are just two dudes uh, who gave themselves up early on in the story. Right? They, they, they can't, like, what kind of power do they possess to tell Rahab, here's how you are and here's how you can be saved? Well, let's, let's look at these verses, and we'll read verses 15 through the end of the chapter. And this is where we see Rahab's faith in action, which is the second point, action. And then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you. And hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie a scarlet cord in the window through which you, will, you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is not with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. Returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had happened. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. At some point, whether it was in the night or early in the morning, Rahab lets the men escape through her window, right? And we saw that the window is in the city wall. 
she's, she lives in the city wall. Now, it would have been a, cool, a really cool place to live, I have to admit. Um, but her house uh, was part of the wall. And she instructed the spies to hide in the mountains three days before returning. The spies' uh, parting words to her were, tie a scarlet cord in your window and gather your entire family into your home. If anyone leaves your home, they will die. But if they stay in your home, they will be saved. Some have tried uh, to connect this scarlet cord with the blood of Jesus. And I can see why they would do that, right? Scarlet is the color of blood. Uh, and it's, it is, I will admit, a loose connection. But I think we have a stronger image in Scripture of what is taking place here. As the people of God, Israel knew what it was like to survive under God's judgment. God had already given his people a picture of what judgment would look like. Surviving it and staying alive during God's judgment looked like living in your home, being in your home and covering the doorposts with blood. So this, this text that we see here in Joshua 2 doesn't look forward to the cross as much as it looks back to the Passover. This text looks back to when God judged the nation of Egypt and passed over the homes of Israel, all those who had blood on their doorposts. Exodus 12, 24-27, You shall observe this rite as a statute, for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. The spies encountered this woman, this, this Gentile prostitute who said, what must I do to be saved? And their knowledge of salvation was seen in the Passover. And so just as we are in Christ, Rahab put herself into the wall. It is in this that we too place our salvation, not in the blood of lambs or in scarlet cords, but in the God who saves. Rahab was saved not because of what she did, but because of where she placed her faith, into the promises of God, into his past instruction. Her faith led her then to act, for she put her hope not her ability, but she put her hope in God's provision that she would indeed be saved. Friend, let me ask you, is, is your faith and your hope in the sacrifice of Jesus? For there is no amount of faith that will save you except that little bit that you put into Jesus Christ. When we are in him, we find true peace. We find true safety from the coming judgment. One of the biggest mistakes that we make is that we put our faith in something other than Jesus. Oh, we might even believe in Jesus. We might even attend church and sing the songs and, and tell others that we're Christians. 
But we can do all of that and still not truly be trusting in the saving work of Jesus Christ. We can put our, our hope in our spouses, right? We can trust that, if, that they'll save us, right? Happiness and joy and peace will be found in my spouse or my boyfriend or in my girlfriend. We can put our faith in our children that they will meet our need, right? If, if they're safe and happy, then I'm safe and happy. And when they don't meet that, we become angry and irritated with them. We, we can place our faith even on our own church family, right? And, and hold them at such high regard that they too will disappoint us. Maybe you've trusted in, 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 the, in leisure, right? As a means of safety. If I work hard enough, I can relax. Or even just, I'm just going to relax. None of these things were meant to save us. None of these things were meant to be our God. No, that's idolatry. Saving faith continues to grow in its understanding that faith in Christ alone is what is required for salvation. And it is the faith of Rahab here in Joshua 2 that we get a better understanding of what comes along with faith. For it is faith and a confession that brings salvation but faith never works alone. No, it leads to action. We saw in Hebrews 11 that Rahab is included in that chapter. It's called the Hall of Faith. That she's included in that chapter. The writer of Hebrews saw that, that she was a model of the trust in the salvation of God. The second place that she's mentioned in the New Testament is in James chapter 2. James 2.25 says this about Rahab. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And you might be saying, whoa, 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 Nick, you're saying Rahab was justified by faith. And here James is saying, wait, she's justified by works. How is this possible? I mean, isn't it faith alone that saves us? We don't work for our salvation. I mean, we know that to be true. And James overall is just a really difficult book. Um, so let me try to clarify some things here. James is telling us that Rahab's actions, her deceit, her hiding the spies and sending them out another way, all stemmed from faith. Her actions that, she, that we see take place and unfold in this chapter all came from a heart that trusted in God and his salvation. Genuine faith has follow-through. Genuine faith has follow-through. This relationship between faith and works is not easy to understand. James is the book that deals most with it. And so let's, let, let me look, let's look on the screen real quick at, at one, uh, James 1, through 23 to just get a better picture of what James is talking about. And hopefully this sorts it out a little bit in each of our minds. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Your faith in Jesus will be accompanied by a sacrificial actions that demonstrate your life has been changed. True, genuine faith in the promises of God is a life that's changed from the inside out. 
our works, Rahab's work that she did in saving the spies demonstrated her faith was genuine because she trusted God. How does that look in our life? Well, we don't talk like we used to, right? We, we don't have the same desires that we used to. We don't value what we used to. And we see that old self as shameful and embarrassing and even dying, right? I'm not even the same person I was now that I was 15 years ago. That's what works looks like, looks like worked out in light of faith first. Rahab's faith led her to risk her life, sell out her city, and aid the people of God. Saving faith, then, is accompanied by self-denying actions. Christian, where is God calling you to step out in faith? What I know is that this takes place each and every day. God continually calls us to step out in faith. And maybe it's a big ask on God's part. Maybe it's a large step of faith, but also maybe it's just a little one. Maybe some of you, children on up, will be called to the mission field to step out in faith in that way. Maybe you're, you're called or will be called to just step into leadership here at this church at some point, which is a great step of faith. It could be that practicing your faith looks like just being more hospitable with the members and outsiders, right? Members of this church, but also the outsiders in the community around us. Inviting strangers into your home. You might be here and have already taken that step of faith in a big way and your life has dramatically changed and it's getting hard. And you're wondering, was it really worth it? Whatever it is this week, take heart and consider where it is that God has called you or is calling you to trust him in ways that you didn't know were possible. Step out in risky ways that demand that you trust him for the results. Right? And trust in his salvation for that is your true hope. That is the one guarantee. It might be that whatever it is that God's calling you into doesn't work out like you thought it would. But you've done it in faith and it gets messy and it's hard. God will use that for his redemptive purposes. Now I'd like to make a couple just overall observations here about Rahab and um, how this plays into our book of Joshua going forward even. Rahab is a great story in the pages of Scripture. It sets up the rest of the narrative of Joshua. The people of Israel are, are standing on the edge of the land that God had promised to them. The wilderness at their back, the Jordan River at their front, and Jericho beyond that. We will be encountering some very difficult passages that deal with God commanding his people to in destroy entire cities, to wipe out entire civilizations. Rahab helps us understand this. Rahab shows us that the people of the land could turn and repent. 
they could shift their allegiance from their gods and their cities in the land of Canaan to the God, to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And God's judgment would pass them over. So we must remember that the people of Israel will fight. They, these, these, this land, in this land, they deserved God's judgment. But they were also provided a means of escape. How? By hearing of the saving work of God and responding to that in faith, just like you and I have. Rahab reminds us that, that no one, no one is beyond the reach of God. Rahab was a prostitute, a Gentile, an idol worshiper, and a woman. And at that day, all of those would have been like the trifecta. You just don't get lower than that. And it was unlikely that, that, right, that, that God would save her, at least in the culture. The culture would have thought, like, why would God use this person? But if God can save Rahab, he can save anyone. He can save your children, right? Your adult children who you think there is no hope for. He can save your spouse. He can save anyone. The surprise in all of this should be minimal, that God can save anyone because guess what? He saved you and me. And if he has done that, we ought to believe that God can save anyone. For you and I are no different than Rahab. We are, we, in our natural state, children of wrath. We were idolatrous, willing to be intimate with anyone and anything that promised salvation. It's not because we're great people that God saved us, but because he loved us and saw fit to bring us in. So if you would like to know more about what salvation is, I would encourage you to come chat with me after the service. Or chat with the person who brought you or somebody else here. For there are many people here who would love to discuss this with you. Any number of people here who, who today could walk with you and tell you what it looks like to just trust God in faith. If you're here as a believer, take heart. Those people in your life who seem hopeless, right? Those antagonistic people, the adult children that I mentioned, who know God but do not trust him? Our coworkers who might see us attend church but right, don't want anything to do with, or do with us or maybe they too are antagonistic. No one is beyond the reach of God's saving power. The third and final place that Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament, we have to look at. Matthew 1.5 the genealogy of Jesus. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. Rahab ended up marrying a Jewish prince who was in the lineage of David, who was the father of Jesus. Rahab went on to live in this land and we see that in Matthew, she had a child, Boaz, right? In the book of Ruth. Rahab's faith that Israel meant, Rahab's faith meant that Israel could enter the promised land. But, she, but it also shows us that salvation was for the entire world. 
God's redemptive purposes cannot be stopped by the messy sinfulness of you, of me. No, God specializes in taking broken people and using them for his purposes. The more broken, the better. And it's when we realize our own brokenness that God delights and will use us. Rahab's obedience, Rahab's faith, Rahab's acting out her faith should encourage us. It should encourage us to be the same. In the final three verses of this chapter, uh, we see the spies hide in the hills for three days. And when the coast was clear, right, they followed Rahab's instruction, curiously. Uh, They trusted her. And when the coast was clear, they head back to camp. And they tell Joshua all that has taken place. And the chapter ends with the statement of faith, something that we have heard what we heard earlier from the mouth of Rahab. Truly the Lord has given all of the land into our hands and also all of the inhabitants of the land. Melt away because of us. The testimony of Rahab gave the people of God courage. Courage to persevere in his promises. Because of her testimony, the land or the people of God would not wander in the wilderness for 40 more years, but would enter the promised land. Friend, never believe that the faith that God has given you in him is too of little significance. For it can be used greatly to encourage others in the people of God. Others, it can encourage others to press on towards that finish line. And so speak of God's faithfulness in your life. Speak of it towards the outsider and the insider. This is really what, uh, one of the big reasons that our discipleship groups are formed is to speak of God's faithfulness to one another. Sure, yeah, your struggles, but also God's faithfulness. Use it as a time to encourage the other members of the church to press on, to press into the promises of God. As you and I desire to leave the wilderness and finally, ultimately, possess the land that God has promised to us in heaven, may we too grow in our faith, to be willing to walk in obedience in a foreign world and to encourage others in this as well. Rahab is a model for all of us in what it looks like to live the Christian life. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we give you praise for the word this morning. Lord, we pray that our faith would be encouraged and that this, the, the seed of this would grow and bear fruit in our lives. We just thank you and praise you for all that you're doing. Amen.